0: I should like to see any power of the world destroy this race, this small tribe of unimportant people, whose wars have all been fought and lost, whose structures have crumbled, literature is unread, music is unheard, and prayers are no more answered. Go ahead, destroy Armenia. See if you can do it. Send them into the desert without bread or water. Burn their homes and churches. Then see if they will not laugh Sing and pray again, for when two of them meet anywhere in the world, see if they will not create a new Armenia. The playwright William Saroyan wrote those words more than 80 years ago. They were part of a short story entitled The Armenian and the Armenian, written nearly a generation after the first genocide of the 20th century. By then, many of the Armenians who survived the genocide had left their homeland and made a new home for themselves and their families in Europe, the Middle East, and in North America. William Saroyan was right, for Armenians did meet, and they did laugh and sing and pray together once again. Those survivors, their children, grandchildren, and yes, even great-grandchildren, also did something else. They never forgot. And because they didn't, neither have we. Welcome to this special edition of Talking Vartan, the Knights and Daughters of Vartan podcast. I'm Asped David Medzorian of Varadot Lodge No. 1 here in Boston. I'm also the grandson of survivors of the Armenian Genocide. Today, we will look back at the tragedy of a century ago with the help of scholar and lecturer, former Grand Commander of the Knights of Vartan, Dr. Dennis Papazian. We'll also hear from our Knights and Daughters of Vartan leaders, Grand Commander Stephen Adams and Grand Matron Alice Kalustian, both of whom will join us from California. My mother, a knocking Dirui of RP Otyag No. 9, and my sister, a Kudig with the same Otyag, will join me in introducing you to a family member who survived the genocide and who, at the age of 23, wrote about his horrific experience and the journey that finally brought him to America. Finally, we will honor those martyrs of so long ago with song, one of which was composed by the late Charles Osnavour. Of course, all public genocide commemoration events here in the United States and in much of the world have been canceled this April. Had they been held, each program would no doubt have begun with words of prayer and inspiration. And that is how I would like to begin ours. Joining me from Waltham, Massachusetts, former commander of Ararat Lodge No. 1 and pastor of St. Stephen's Armenian Apostolic Church of Greater Boston, my friend, Rev. Father Antranig Baljan.
1: If you remember five years ago, on the 100th anniversary of the beginning of the genocide, a great decision was made by our Catholicos and the College of Bishops to make saints, out of those who were martyred, the martyrs of the Armenian genocide. Before that, we used to mourn them. We used to have requiem services for them. We used to pray for their souls. Five years ago, when they became saints, that all turned around. And now we ask them with all reverence and faith that they pray for us. And so if you would indulge me, I would like to recite the prayer from the service commemorating the sainted martyrs of the Armenian genocide. O Christ our God, for the sake of your precious holy cross, grant us your peace. For the sake of the Holy Mother of God and John the forerunner and St. Stephen the proto-martyr, grant us your peace for the sake of your holy apostles, prophets, doctors, martyrs, patriarchs, ascetics, virgins, hermits, and heavenly hosts, grant us your peace. And for the sake of our first enlighteners, Thaddeus and Bartholomew, and the felicitous holy apostle, James, and Saint Gregory, our enlightener, and Saint James, the patriarch of Nisibis, Maruge, the ascetic, Meletius, the bishop, and George, the captain, and also through the intercession, remembrance and prayers of the holy martyrs who were massacred during the Armenian genocide for their faith and for their homeland, whose remembrance we commemorate today. Grant us your peace and great mercy, O Lord, love of mankind. Let us pray. O Christ, you who crowns the saints, You fulfill the will of those who fear you, and with love and compassion, you care for your creatures. Listen to us, O Lord, from your holy heaven, through the intercession of the Holy Mother of God, and through the prayers of all your saints, and especially through the supplications of the holy martyrs who were massacred during the Armenian Genocide for their faith and for their homeland. Hear us, O Lord, and have mercy. Forgive, expiate, and remit our sins. Make us worthy to thankfully glorify you with the Father and with the Holy Spirit, now and always and forever and ever. Amen.
0: Thank you, Der Antronique. When singer and composer Charles Osnavour died in October of 2018 in southern France at the age of 94, he was described in a New Yorker magazine tribute as the world's last and greatest troubadour. In a career spanning more than seven decades, Aznavour wrote more than a thousand songs and recorded many of them in as many as six languages. Although he grew up and spent most of his life in France, Charles Aznavour never lost his Armenian identity. In 1976, he and collaborator George Garaventz wrote, Ils sont tombés. They fell a tribute to victims of the Armenian genocide. It was first released in French, then later in both English and Armenian. It is an English rendition that I would like to offer you now.
2: But laws they offended, the women fell as well, and the babies they tendered, left to die, left to cry, all condemned by their birth. They fell like rain across the thirsty land, in their heart they were slain, in their God still believing all their pity and pain in that season of grieving. All in vain, all in vain, just for one helping hand. For no one heard their prayers in a world Bent on pleasure from other people's cares. They simply close their eyes. They create a lot of sound in jazz and right time measure. The trumpet screamed till dawn to drown the children's cries. They fell like leaves. It's people in their prime. Simple man kindly man and no one knew his crime they became in that hour like the small desert flower simply covered by the silent wind in sands of time They had little to give, but their lives and their passion, and their longing to live in their way, in their fashion, so their harvest could thrive and their children could grow. They fell like flies, their eyes still full of sound, like a dove. In its flight In a path of a rifle That falls down where it might As if death were a trifle And to bring to an end A life barely begun And I am of that race Who died in unknown places Who perished in their pride Whose blood in rivers ran In agony and fright With courage on their faces They went into the night That waits for every man They fell like tears And never knew what for In that summer of strife of massacre and war Their only crime was life Their only guilt was fear The children of Armenia Nothing less, nothing
0: It is with great honor that I introduce from San Fernando Valley in California, the grand matron of the daughters of Vartan, Alice Kalustian. of Didoy?
3: This is the day when Armenians all over the world formally remember and honor our ancestors who suffered and died during the 1915 massacres. We remember them all during the year. We remember them every day that we think about our history. We remember them each time we wonder about our parents, grandparents, and now great grandparents and how they were living that many years ago. What were their daily lives like? What did they have to do to survive during the days of the genocide? What horrible things did they have to witness and endure? How were they able to hold it together? and go forward to bring us to where we are now. One and a half million people were killed. We were scattered all over the world, and now we are 11 million strong all over the world. We managed not only to survive the genocide, but to grow. To grow in every way, not just in numbers. We have Armenians educated and working in every field one can think of. Education, medicine, politics, science, construction, journalism, finances, religion, and so many more. We take pride in our achievements. We take leadership roles many times. We remember those in need and try to help wherever and however we are able We pass our traditions, history, ethnic values, and knowledge on to the coming generations and teach them they can be proud to be Armenian. We thank our representatives in both houses of Congress that supported and passed the resolutions that recognize the Armenian genocide. Finally, the United States has joined many other countries who have had the courage to stand up and say... Yes, this was a genocide of the Armenian people at the hands of the Turkish Ottoman government. Usually on April 24th and the days close to it, we are meeting at our monuments, worshiping in our churches, joining in marches, gathering at various events all over the world, remembering and commemorating our history and praying for our saints who perished during those horrible years. This year is different. This year, because of the restrictions caused by the coronavirus, we will be remembering differently, perhaps by ourselves, perhaps with our families and friends, using technology that we probably helped create just like this today. So take a moment, say a prayer, Say thank you, and remember to honor and to stay proud. We are Armenians, and we are thriving. Thank you, David, for bringing us together on this special day.
0: Thank you, Avak Didiwi. Nachki Navak Dr. Dennis Papazian served as Grand Commander of the Knights of Vartan from 2010 to 2012, and this year marks his 50th year as a member of our brotherhood. Dr. Papazian is Professor Emeritus and Founding Director of the Knights of Vartan Armenian Research Center at the University of Michigan at Dearborn. He is also the Founding Director of the Armenian Assembly of America and has held multiple positions on behalf of the Armenian Church of America's Eastern Diocese and the Diocesan Council, including Chairman of the Diocesan Assembly. Dr. Papazian is a noted author, lecturer, and commentator, and he joins me today from San Jose, California. Nachinav Aksparabed, as someone who has studied, lectured, and written about the Armenian experience, what goes through your mind and heart when you think of April 24th,
4: 1915? Well, I think of uh, the traditional date for the beginning of the Armenian genocide, but it is only a traditional date. Uh, The genocide goes much farther back, and of course in the 1890s we, have dreadful uh, genocide, which was not recognized hardly. Uh, No one knows exactly how many Armenians were killed. And then, of course, uh, in uh, the uh, uh, more recent times, uh, April 24th, uh, it's also just a traditional date uh, for the arrest of the Armenian intellectuals in Constantinople and their... uh, sentenced to exile, and most of them murdered on the way.
0: Do you remember when you first were told about the Armenian genocide? Was it a parent or grandparent who told you? And and do you remember roughly how old you were when you first began to learn about it?
4: I think I was around uh, 12 years old, and I began to learn about it through Archbishop Tiran Nersoyan who came to lecture in Michigan uh, at our parish. And I found him to be uh, a real stalwart intellectual and admired him. And for some reason he liked me. And so we began a relationship that lasted on and off uh, until he uh, went to uh, Europe and uh, then back to the United States
0: when you were older and you began to study the events of uh, 1915 and the programs that preceded them and what also happened in the years after that were you surprised and are and do you remain surprised today at turkey's continuous denial considering the fact that there was so much evidence and i mean contemporary evidence you know news reports that were being uh, written and published around the world, Um, the American president, Woodrow Wilson, who knew about what was happening, the fact that there was so much evidence that was there at the time, did it surprise you and does it surprise you that to this day, Turkey continues to deny that the genocide ever occurred?
4: No, it doesn't surprise me at all. Uh, The perpetrators want to hide it and they began hiding it from the very uh, existence of the plan to commit a genocide. They jiggled the uh, archives, they produced uh, fake evidence, Uh, they had uh, all sorts of support for their efforts and they knew exactly what they were doing and they were denying it as it was taking place. And that's the way it was then. And that's the way it is today.
0: Is it a matter because the Germans didn't do that? After World War II, they came forward and said, yes, we did this. They apologized to the world and they certainly admitted what had happened with regard to the Jewish Holocaust.
4: Well, the fact of the matter is the Germans uh, found Germany occupied uh, on the one side by the Russians, the other side by the United States and its allies, And there was quite a bit of difference in terms of the education of the people involved and the religion of the people involved. And so the Christian uh, Americans, and they were typically Christian in those days, uh, were uh, very much set up uh, by the missionaries who they sent to Armenia. Uh, in the 1890s, well, actually, 1816 was the first one to travel through. And then in the 1880s and 90s, uh, a lot of missionary stations were set up in Armenia. And therefore, the knowledge of what was going on was full, as you suggest. But the power of the state uh, was uh, in the hands of denialists. nihilists. And when you keep the denialists in power, then they continue to deny. And in the case of Germany, the denialists were defeated, and there were uh, systematic attempts to uh, you know, uh, change the mentality of the Germans. And so uh, a different outcome came about. And so it's, it's not at all surprising if you look at the details of what was going on. Uh, All of these things line up.
0: Because when the perpetrators are in power and remain in power, it's much easier to hide the truth. Exactly. Of course. And they
4: plan to hide the truth from the very beginning. Uh, The archives in Turkey were manipulated and uh for example when the intellectuals were arrested on April 24th and sent to exile uh, most of them were murdered and secret uh, messages were sent back that they were lost or they uh you know were turned up here or there and so they confused the issue there was no uh, actual admission even when they were being uh, exiled and killed, that they were doing this. This was all planned and uh, set up in a very systematic fashion.
0: Yeah, my grand, my great-grandfather, my mother's grandfather, was one of those uh, intellectuals who was removed from his home and uh, told initially that they were going to help protect the region. And, of course, they all knew, the families knew, and the men themselves, of course, knew that that was totally ridiculous that that was not what was happening and that they were going to be taken to slaughter. You mentioned the missionaries just a little while ago, and this is a part of the Armenian genocide story that doesn't get told nearly as much. My my grandparents have both mentioned this to me on my mother's side, that there were people, some Turks, some were others, uh, Kurds and all that, who actually did go out of their way to try and rescue or at least protect some of the Armenians in the region whom they knew were in terrible danger. who Talk a bit about who you believe some of the heroes of that period were.
4: Well, there are not that many that we have evidence of because uh, the Turks, uh, if they did help Armenians, did it secretly or tried to do it secretly. And so the evidence of that help uh, was destroyed or was you know non-existent, and so what we find out then is that the uh, reality is that very few Turks or Kurds helped Armenians, and most of them took Armenians as servants or, in rare cases, as wives, uh, because wives were hard to get apparently if you're poor. So we have a very complex situation of Kurds and Turks uh, involved in the genocide and much of the killing was done by the uh, mm-hmm. Kurdish uh, organizations uh, by the, organized by the Sultan uh, and then used by the young Turks uh, to carry out the Armenian Genocide.
0: Now, of course, this was over 100 years ago that this all began. And so, the although there is certainly great written evidence and limited photographic evidence, uh, there are some photographs and even some very rare motion picture clips that were done at the time, the contrast between that and the Nazi Holocaust in World War II was, of course, that it was far easier to make a record of what was happening but that, again, goes back to what you were saying, that they were manipulating things right from the beginning in an attempt to cover up the crime even before it began. Is that correct?
4: Yes, it, it is correct. And the person who has studied this <clears throat> most fully is tanda Akcham uh, a Turkish scholar who I brought to America on the advice of uh, Bahak
5: Mm-hmm.
4: Uh, they met in Germany, and Bahácan recommended toner to me, and I was the head of the uh, Armenian Research Center at the University of Michigan-Dearborn. I had raised money, and so I could afford to bring Toner to the United States and keep him uh, on the payroll for two years, and then he moved on to uh, other situations But he was uh, and still is the preeminent uh, genocide scholar Mm -hmm. because he knows Turkish and he had contacts in the Turkish archives. Uh, We don't always realize that there perhaps uh, 30% of the Turks don't uh, accept the genocide and realize uh, it was a fake that uh, it really was a massacre. And so these people are uh, quiet, but do help uh, when it's uh, possible. And uh, we keep that very, very quiet because if the Turkish government finds out who these individuals are, they would be dealt with quite harshly.
0: And, of course, you mentioned uh, Professor um, Akdam. He was honored just a, a few months ago, in fact, by the Knights of Vartan. I believe it was down in New Jersey or New York, but somewhere in that area. And it was a—I don't know if you were there, it was a rather— it was a pretty large event. Um, our Aravak uh Stephen Adams, was there among the many who were paying homage to him. And he also addressed the uh, Knights and Daughters of Vartan Grand Convocation when it was in Dearborn in in uh, 2018. And that's when I had a chance to to meet him and, and have read his book, which I highly recommend to uh, anyone. Well, will- there are
4: several books he's written. Which one are you talking about?
0: You're going to ask me that right now, and I cannot give you the title off the top of my head. But... Um, um, it was the most recent one, I believe, that... Uh, it was
4: about the archives?
0: Yes, precisely.
4: Oh, yeah, that's, that uh, is, uh, drove a nail through the heart of the Turkish denialists. Well, they had an organization in the United States supported by the Turkish government, mm-hmm. and it uh, was uh, effectively a propaganda agent, and it worked very well until Tana's book came out. And then... Uh, the honest scholars began to see that there was no denying it uh, because the evidence was just right there. And so the organization uh, then lost the support of the Turkish government and it closed. So that was the end of that.
0: Now, I know that the recent passage of the Armenian Genocide Resolution on Capitol Hill was certainly a reason for Armenians around the world to feel proud, even though it was a long time in coming. Given that most countries have recognized and affirmed the Armenian genocide as something that did happen, and given that Turkey continues to deny the genocide despite the overwhelming evidence to the contrary, in your opinion, sir, have we realistically come as far as we can? I mean, it's unlikely that one would think Turkey is suddenly going to have a change of heart and say, oh, yes, we did commit genocide. How much farther can we go?
4: Well, it depends on the Turkish government itself. You recall that uh, early on uh, the present Turkish government uh, consisted of two leaders, the Bata- oh, what's his name uh, Ojalan, and uh, also uh, the what um, what's the Turkish word for Rose?
0: Oh, I'm afraid I can't uh, help you there, sir.
4: Okay well anyway, that was the name of uh, uh, his companion and he was pushed out and we have a very hard-nosed individual involved. But that is not to say that all the Turks follow this hard-nosed individual. And as a matter of fact, probably 20 or 30% don't. And uh, the Kurds certainly don't. And so I think that the Turkish people themselves will uh, come to the realization that uh, it happened and uh, there's no need not to recognize it.
0: On this day I and,
4: think Turkish go people will change. You do. And that's gonna be the key.
0: What will change them?
4: The knowledge. Realization.
0: But has evidence. the not has the knowledge not always been there though, a bit. I mean the, the, the information has been there. It's is it simply a matter of getting the information to the people?
4: No, it's a, a question of making it safe for the people to recognize the Armenian genocide.
0: But that's a pretty difficult task in itself though.
4: Well right like now it is because they're very uh, the, the head of Turkey is a very uh, harsh uh, recalcitrant individual, but will he stay in power forever? No, will Turkey change? Probably. Uh, I, I say that the Turks themselves will, will do it because we've dealt with good Turks uh, in the archives and elsewhere. So we know they're there and they will increase as uh, the freedom uh, increases in Turkey. And I think it will because with education, uh, people become more uh, free intellectually and uh, they accept things. So I I see it uh, when when the current uh, head of Turkey loses his power and I think he's on the way to that, we will see that the people themselves eventually uh, recognize the Armenian genocide.
0: That will be a day to look forward to. We're talking with Nakin Avak Dr. Dennis Papazian. He is in San Jose, California today, as we mark the 105th anniversary of the Armenian genocide. And uh, Dr. Papazian, if I'm not mistaken, this is your 50th year with the Knights of Vartan, is that correct? That's correct. Well, happy anniversary and that's that's quite well, thank you. that's quite a that's quite an accomplishment and I know that uh that uh, everybody in our organization and the daughters of Vartun are uh, ex- extremely proud of you and and tell me what you think our role is as both knights and daughters of Vartun in trying to keep not only the memory of April 24th, 1915, alive, but forging ahead as one Armenian generation leaves us and another takes over.
4: Well, I think it's very important that we pile up the evidence and uh, as soon as possible have a museum of the Armenian genocide in America, uh, which contains all the relevant materials uh, that are convincing to scholars, and individuals throughout the world. Uh, The United States uh, plays a big role in developing world public opinion. And so I think uh, we have to move ahead in this country. And we've moved ahead to the extent now that we have recognition both from the House and the Senate. And so now we want to uh, make sure that the intellectuals all come aboard, and most of them have by now. And uh, that would lead us to uh, a better place, and that, uh, I think, is what we're headed for. Within the next 25 years, the Turkish people themselves will come to the acceptance of the Armenian genocide.
0: My special thanks to former Grand Commander Dr. Dennis Papazian. It's my honor now to present from Fresno, California, the Grand Commander of the Knights of Vartan, Stephen Adams. Avak spadabit.
6: Thank you, David, for your work on the Talking Vartan. I want to start by offering the condolences of the Abak Tion on the passing of your father. He was a great man and a true knight. After our election as the Abak Svaravet of the Knights of Vartan, one of my very first thoughts was attending the April 24th Armenian Genocide Commemoration in Times Square. I have always heard so much about it, but have never had the chance to attend. This was going to be my first. A number of our Abak Tima members along with their wives were also planning on attending. Never in my wildest thoughts would I have imagined the situation we are in today. Not only being unable to commemorate but sheltered in our homes in isolation. The committee in preparing this year had already done a lot of work and I was anxious to attend but now we must do our remembrances and commemorations online. It's hard to imagine that 105 years ago A government turned on its own people and sought to eliminate them from their ancestral homeland. The world turned a blind eye to the tragedy of our people. It was in those years that the Knights of Arton was founded, to come to the aid of the remnants of our people that had been scattered throughout the world as a result of this genocide of our people. My family was one of the luckier ones. My grandmother was born in this country in 1895. I used to ask her if she still had family in her village of Perchach after her parents had come to the U.S. And she said she used to write letters to her grandmother. I said, what happened to her? She said the letters just stopped. In the history of the Armenian people, 1915 will be frozen in time. We had survived a battle for our Christianity in 451. We had survived conquering empires sweeping through our homeland. But 1915 saw our history almost wiped out. The villages of our ancestors are now devoid of their people. Our ancient churches now sit in rubble. But the most devastating act is the continual denial of the truth of genocide. The Republic of Turkey is still in a state of genocidal denial. Healing from this wound on the Republic of Turkey can never be achieved without acceptance of the truth. We will continue to commemorate We will continue to remember. We will celebrate the lives of our saints who died in the faith. While we commemorate online this year, we pray that we will all be together next April in Times Square. Thank you, David, for hosting us today.
0: Thank you, Avak Spadabid. Today, as Knights and Daughters of Vartan, we are all aware of the significance of April 24th, 1915. Perhaps you and your family are here today because a relative or relatives survived the Armenian Genocide and came here to America to begin a new life. Do you remember the very first time that you were told about the Armenian Genocide? How old you were and who it was who told you? I can't remember a time when I didn't know about it. My parents and grandparents told my siblings and me about the Armenian Genocide when we were children. And while they at first left out any graphic descriptions of the atrocities that cost one and a half million Armenians their lives, they made sure that we knew that the Ottoman Turks tried to eliminate all of the Armenians living in Turkey, and that among those who died were relatives of ours. My maternal grandparents, Avedis and Hripsimer Parnagyan, were lucky enough to escape with some of their family members. My grandmother was only three years old at the time, my grandfather fifteen, after years as refugees in countries throughout the Middle East and Europe, they eventually came to America and settled in the Boston area. Avedis and Hrips had been married when she was only 17. A year and a half later, she gave birth to the first of four children, a daughter, who would one day be Nakhindidui Eva Medzorian, my mother. As a little girl in the 1930s, my mother's first language was Armenian because at home, that was all she and her family spoke Still, young Eva knew little about the country from which her parents and grandmother, who also lived with them, had come. That would change when she entered kindergarten, and her teachers and classmates were all speaking English. She told me that this was the first time that she began to feel different. A year later, her first grade teacher asked my mother and her classmates to learn about their ethnic backgrounds
7: and share that information with the rest of the class. The only person who was could talk about it was my father, and and my father was not a very talkative person. I said, "Well, I want to know. I mean, how can I go to school and people are asking me where, you know, what nationality are you?" That did it. He got a twinkle in his eye, and he said, "I'm going to tell. I'm going to show you." <laughs> he opened the drawer and pulled out a book of maps, and and he pointed out roughly flipping through the pages. Now, I'm going to show you where it is. But I was so excited. This was such a, an interesting thing, you know. I'm going to find out who I am. He had to be happy that you were interested, though, wasn't he? He was very happy. <laughs> he was really, I think, well, that, I think I that was the happiest I had ever seen him, to tell you the truth, yeah. The following day, I went to school <laughs> armed with this map, actually, you know, a book and everything else. And, and the, I showed it to the teacher and said, oh, my goodness, this is so wonderful. It made me very proud that I could finally say, that, well, this is who I am. I come from here. I like what I'm eating because every, my food, you know, we, we, were, we were different Everybody else would have a sandwich, and I would have something from Armenia, an Armenian thing, and they would say, "You know what is this?" And they'd all come around me and say and want to know more. So actually, it was really at the beginning of a wonderful experience for me. Talking about
0: Armenia was one thing, but when it came to the genocide, my grandparents and great grandmother remained silent.
7: There were some people who spoke about it a lot. And then there were other people who didn't talk about it at all. And I came from that part that just didn't want to speak about it because I could hear the older women when they'd come together they would say now we're not going to say anything depressing because it's not good for the children, you know? I wanted to know everything, the good, the bad and but they just were so bent on not upsetting us that They just thought that it was not the right thing to do. Now, it was the wrong thing to do, you know, because it took me really a long time, I think, for me, because I was impatient, and I just had to know more. And so the the way I found my way through this jungle, we used to have a, a dining room table, like these big tables, you know? And when they would come together, the ladies... They would whisper, you know, and they would say, Do you remember what this happened? Do you remember what happened to that person? And and of course then they say, Don't talk, because we got Eva is listening, you know, you don't I thought I was gonna be clever and I would hide underneath the table, you know, with a tablecloth or whatever. And when they started to talk, I listened and they were talking about what happened.
0: Now, my mother, in case you haven't figured it out, was and is a very curious person. One day, some years later, her curiosity led her to a notebook containing page after page of material in what was clearly my grandfather's handwriting. But there was one problem. The words were in the Eastern Armenian dialect. I
7: couldn't read the book. I mean, it was beautifully handwritten, you know? When I got older, I said, I want to read this book. By this time, I had gone to visit Armenia in 1972, and my father had gone back two years before that. So I said, I want this translated. I found someone, finally, who could translate it from the Eastern to English, you know? And well, I found the right person. It took about a year. The whole picture was so clear. But what a shame, though, that... I couldn't find that much earlier, but the thing was that was we so it was so painful for him. You said he
0: wasn't very outgoing and he didn't want to talk about it. Did it surprise you that he was able to convey those feelings so well and so vividly in his writing?
7: I was really, really amazed. I was so proud. It was it was really written beautifully, and the a woman who translated it was so precise and wrote it exactly as it was. So I, I have the, the, his written book and the translated. Grandma and you were
0: the two people from whom I learned the most about Armenia and, of course, the genocide. And you talked about it with us when we were very young. Do you now think that that was the right thing to do? Was it important that we learn about the good and the tragic
7: at a very young age? Almost oh, definitely. It depends upon how you tell the story, too. Uh, you can't get so involved in, with it and so emotional, you know, that you can't really speak about it. But it was difficult for me because I was surrounded with people who try to protect me <laughs> and I didn't want to be protected.
0: My grandfather's memoir, Struggle to Survive, has been a window through which we could experience the horrors of the Armenian genocide through Grandpa's eyes. Grandpa Avadis was born in 1900 in Ushbeg, Chemaskatsak, in western Armenia. But his narrative begins in April of 1915, on the day that Turkish gendarmes began going door-to-door in the village of Luisnir, rounding up all the men, telling them they were needed to help protect their hometown. The men and their families knew this wasn't true. A Kurdish leader, Diab Akka, helped rescue young Avedis along with others, taking them to a safe area about an hour from the village. From his memoir, Avedis described what happened next. In the safety of the summer houses, we learned from a weeping Kurdish woman of the atrocities suffered by my father and the other men who had been jailed. She told how they were herded into a house, brought out one by one, and shot One of the Armenian men found an antiquated gun in the house and tried to defend himself. The Turks became enraged and burned the building with the men alive in it. This news was crushing. Despite our hardships and psychological tortures, we felt better physically after several days of rest. Suddenly, one night, we heard a Turkish conversation and barely managed to move from our shelter when several Turkish gendarmes appeared. We believed that they would take us to the same slaughterhouse where our fathers had been taken. Fortunately, the barking of dogs and other noises from the neighborhood distracted the attention of the gendarmes, who left after talking with us for several moments. We were set free. We returned to our tents to rest. Every day Turkish gendarmes came to find out how many Armenians were in the area. The pro-Turkish Kurdish chief turned over several dozen Armenian youth to the Turks, who subsequently killed them. We decided we had to leave this place immediately. Avedis would be on the move for the next six years, traveling back to Yerevan and Sevan, Tiflis in Georgia, as well as Constantinople, present-day Istanbul. In 1921, Avedis sailed from Gibraltar, bound for New York City. After passing through Ellis Island, there was one final journey, his granddaughter, my sister, Quitty Ruth Folletti, reads from his memoir.
8: At the railway station, I bid farewell to my friends and went to New York Grand Central Station. There, I was put on a train to Boston with other immigrants. I met an Armenian on this train who was going to Worcester. I asked him to tell me about Boston, which he did, and he even put some money in my pocket. We said goodbye in Worcester, and I continued to Boston. Arriving there, I went to a hotel and found a corner there to wait for my sister, Verkin, and brother-in-law. I had telegraphed to tell them of my arrival. In half an hour they arrived and began to look for me. What a surprise! For long, long years we had been separated, and now we were happily reunited. We told each other of our pains and sufferings in our faraway beautiful motherland. From the railway station, we went to the subway and took a train to Cambridge, where my sister and her husband lived. My suffering would finally end and I was to begin a new stage of my life, torn away from my motherland.
0: Avidis and Hripsime Ahigian would have four children. My grandparents moved their family to Somerville, Massachusetts in 1940 where they continued to live until my grandfather's death in 1986. The day before his passing, grandpa had dreamed that he was inside an Armenian church adorned wall to wall and even on the roof with beautiful flowers. For his entire life, Armenia never left him. And as my mother would describe years after his passing, whenever he went back to Armenia, which he did a handful of times, he was home. Two years after his death, my sister Ruth and my cousin Sharon accompanied my grandmother, who brought my grandfather's ashes back to the land of his birth. They, and our relatives in Armenia, buried his ashes next to his brother Alfred in a cemetery in Yerevan's Shahumyan district. In 1993, my grandfather's handwritten memoir was finally translated from Eastern to Western Armenian, and then finally to English. The Eastern Armenian version was published in Yerevan that same year. My mother, Didui Eva Medzorian, has visited Armenia over 100 times in the last 50 years, and like her father before her, when she visited with my dad, she was home. During one of those visits, she sang this prayer, Bahaban Aminayi, Protector of All Living Creatures. Thanks, Ma. It's hard to believe that four generations have passed since April 24, 1915. Survivors of that first genocide of the 20th century are gone now. We, their descendants, have the job of making sure the world never forgets those who died and those who were responsible for their deaths, even if they continue to deny it. Most recently, the United States Congress officially recognized the 1915 Armenian massacres as a genocide. It was only a step, but a step in the right direction. Sadly, attempts to exterminate a race of people due to their ethnic background did not end with the Armenian genocide. Adolf Hitler, in planning the Jewish Holocaust a generation later, asked, Who today remembers the extermination of the Armenians? When it comes to people, the answer then, and since, has been, not nearly enough. My special thanks to all of our participants in this podcast. Our leaders, Grand Commander Stephen Adams and Grand Matron Alice Kalustian. Our former Grand Commander, Dr. Dennis Papazian. Reverend Father Antranig Baljan. And of course, my mother, Nakhine Didiwe Eva Medzorian. And my sister, Koitig Ruth Faletti. On behalf of my family... I would like to thank all of you who expressed your sympathies and condolences following the passing earlier this month of my father, Nakin Spadabed Jack Mizorian. He loved the Knights of Vartan and believed in its mission. Our Grand Commander Stephen Adams described Dad as the example of a true Knight of Vartan. To all of you, please stay safe and do what is necessary to stay healthy, not just for you, but for your loved ones. I'd like to close this program with the words of philosopher George Santayana. Those who do not remember the past are condemned to repeat it. Today, after 105 years, we remember. I'm Aspet David Medzorian of Ararat Lodge Number no. 1 in
2: Boston. Shnot sideli paregamner.